everybody to Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Today we have a great guest. We have Kristen Johansson, who is uh, with the City of Santa Fe Water Division, an engineer at the City of Santa Fe. And uh, Kristen, thanks for coming on the Streaming Water Podcast today. Thank you, Blair. So Kristen, maybe you could start out by uh, just introducing yourself, telling the listeners a little bit about what you do now and, and your path to getting there. Yes, so uh, I'm currently an engineer at the City of Santa Fe Water Division. I got to Santa Fe in a little bit of a circuitous route. Uh, I got interested in water when I was in high school and doing biology sampling at Cherry Creek Reservoir in, in Denver. So that's how I first got interested in water, kind of got the bug by looking at all the bugs in the uh, different ponds there at Cherry Creek. Um, and then I went to school at the University of Minnesota, where I studied civil engineering for a couple of years. And um, during that time, I took night classes in Chinese, and I had the opportunity to go uh, ski for the U.S. ski team in China. Wow. So I ended up uh, leaving the University of Minnesota, and I went to school in China at Fudan University in Shanghai. And I studied Chinese there, but I also got to work on a lot of different water projects um, when I was in China, and um, including some projects for the World Bank and some projects in Tibet. So um, from Fudan University, I realized with all of the pollution in China that I was really interested in more of an environmental focus. So I returned to Colorado and I studied environmental engineering at the University of Colorado Boulder and um, worked in uh, the Denver Tech Center for a while and also in Boulder. And my passion is running. So I decided to move to Santa Fe to train as a runner. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, I know you've, I've heard about some of your uh, running there. How is uh, running involved in your your day-to-day work life? Do you involve the running in that? Yes, I do. Um, So I uh, trained with a professional group in Santa Fe, um, but the group, they're all professional runners. So uh, since I have a job, I had to sneak in the running during the day. So I'm well known in Santa Fe for running to work and running to my different construction sites or different sites that I'm working at, like our water treatment plant. So if I'm doing an experiment in the lab, I'll do laps around the plant just to sneak in some extra training. Um, And that's all then to work towards qualifying for the Olympic trials uh, for the Tokyo Olympics. Nice. Well, good Mm -hmm. luck with that. I think, uh, I think I should take your lead. Not not Olympic caliber, but I should do a couple laps around the plant every now and then and run to meetings. <laughs> yeah, it's been great because our staff has actually joined me in the training and um, our operations staff started training for 5Ks. And I had some uh, some other folks from our staff pace me on bikes. Nice. It's been really great. Everyone's been involved. Cool. So was uh, was it hard to learn Chinese? Is that a hard language to learn? Or I imagine they're all hard, but it is, is it harder than any other? It's extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, thousands of characters, and each character is its own word. So if you don't know the character, it's pretty tough to, say, read a newspaper 
read an article. Yeah. Can you? But uh, it's really fun. Can you say, give us a little sample? Can you say, like, water is life in Chinese? <laughs> uh, I guess you could say, shui shi, uh, All right, good. That's, uh, thank you for that. All right, what about, uh, you mentioned some of your hobbies. Um, besides running, do you, what, what else do you do in Santa Fe on your free time? Uh, I also like to Nordic ski. I'm on a Nordic ski club in Los Alamos. And I like to go to poetry sessions and try out different beers. Nice. <laughs> they have some good ones there? <laughs> there are, yeah. Santa Fe Brewing's really neat. And you can take their brewery tour and see their wastewater treatment facility. Cool. I'm going to have to do that next time, next time I'm there. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe let's get into the... Uh, the questions here, more work-related questions. I, you know, we, we spoke before and you mentioned the, a manganese mystery that you were, you were in the process of solving. Can you talk to, can you talk to that a little bit about what the manganese mystery was and, and what the, uh, what the solve entailed? Yes. So um, it's kind of a fun story because one of our inspectors who was working on waterline replacements uh, it was his hobby to leave me pipes that he had taken out uh, during projects, um, different pipe segments, and leave them uh, at our front door of the office for me to see. Um, and you call each that pipe his that hobby, he... huh? <laughs> that was his hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I if I would characterize that way, but all right. <laughs> So I looked forward to seeing which pipe would be left for me. But um, the reason was, is he was trying to show me that a lot of the pipes that were being pulled out uh, downtown had a coating, a black coating in them. And so, you know, we looked into it and the black coating was what we suspected, which was manganese. And it was a little surprising because we do have uh, we add sodium permanganate um, before our, our water treatment process to remove the manganese. This is a little surprising, and, and we would take uh, we take readings every day, um, so we know that we meet the EPA secondary maximum contaminant level for manganese uh, when we test. Uh, so it was a little surprising to see it in the distribution system. And so we started a project to trace, well, where is this manganese coming from? And we looked at each different area from our reservoirs to our treatment plant to the distribution system and measured manganese levels. And we looked at different types of manganese because man manganese comes in two forms, um, main, mainly two forms, which is the dissolved phase or the particulate, the solid phase. And so we looked at where, <clears throat> where those each, each of those forms were found. And what we found was we had higher than expected levels of dissolved manganese coming into our treatment plant. And also later on in the distribution system, we were finding particulate, the solid forms. And so we started saying, well, we have a pristine watershed. Um, it's off limits to the public. It's extremely good water quality. Why, are, why do we have manganese? It's a little unusual given the geology in the area. 
Yeah. And um, so we found actually an old geological record from New Mexico Tech, uh, which was the old New Mexico State uh, School of Mines. And the document dated from 1918 and was a mineral resources study on manganese. And in the document, it said there was an old manganese, um, an old coal mine that was four miles northeast of downtown Santa Fe. Well, we used to call our reservoir Four Mile Reservoir. And because of its location, exactly four miles from downtown. And we realized that on that coal mine, um, there was also a manganese seam right there. And so um, it's more than likely that that manganese got turned up during that process. And, you know, it's just in the, it's in the natural sediment in the reservoir. But then the question is, well, it's in the sediment. So how's it getting into the plant and the distribution system? Right. So we took our boat up to the reservoir and our boat is named the Lucky Leviathan. Lucky Leviathan, (laughs) who named the boat? (laughs) One of our operators. All right. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's the names written on the side. And we, we took the lucky Leviathan out into the reservoir and we measured oxygen levels in the reservoir and found out that at the bottom of the reservoir, we basically have no oxygen. And that's changed over time. We used, it used to have plenty of oxygen, but um, we've done some construction up there and just natural changes um, with temperature and things have caused um, oxygen to at the bottom and that low oxygen has caused manganese to be released from that sediment that was probably stirred up you know in the late 1800s yeah so did you did you make any changes in the reservoir to to try to get it from from seeping into solution yes so we are in the process now um, working with Corolo engineers to design a volatile swing um, uh, absorption system a VSA system which is a form of hypolimnetic aeration. So it aerates the full reservoir um, to keep oxygen levels pretty well uniform throughout the res- reservoir. That's interesting. It's, uh, yeah, yeah you, you had to take off your engineer hat and put on your, I don't know, Indiana Jones hat there and uh, <laughs> dig into the archives, huh? Exactly. And it's neat because we didn't want to solve, we didn't want to solve our problem with, with, by adding more chemicals or adding more things to the water, we wanted to reduce what we're adding to the water. So that is kind of a neat solution to say, hey, well, you know, can we just keep the manganese at the reservoir? Do we have? Do we even have to treat it? And the answer, answer is we don't have to treat it. Yeah. Well, I guess that guy's interesting hobby paid off then in the end. <laughs> it did. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. I th- we also talked about... I was asking about some of the projects you had going on and you mentioned uh, a post-tension concrete tank project that was presented some challenges. Maybe you could start. And, and I, I had to go ask what a post-tension concrete tank was, but I bet you'll explain it better. So maybe start there and, and uh, hope, take us through that project a little bit, if you would. Yes. So we, um, we originally had a um, just a normal D110 concrete tank. Um, on site and those are primary one of our main storage tanks and for over 15 20 years it just had problems it had a cone bottom so for all the engineers listening please please do not design tanks with cone bottoms because it just leaked like a sieve 
And we tried everything. We tried liners, we tried repairs, concrete repairs, and just could not get it to uh, stop leaking. And so um, we looked at new, new options for the tank. And one was this uh, post-tension concrete tank. So basically it has the structural members, steel members in the, in the concrete. And so after you lay the concrete over those, um, over the rebar, then you pull the rebar. And it's actually, um, and by pulling the rebar, it, it actually tightens the concrete. So it's, it's, in my opinion, it's basically leak, leak proof. Yeah. And it's at, it's measurable how, when you pull those tension, you pull the tendons that are in the concrete after it's, you know, after it's set and you pull those tendons, it's actually a measurable difference how the, how the concrete moves and, and compresses together to make it just that much more tighter and, and leak proof. Oh, did you say that was the one you took a trip to uh, Denver water? They had a similar project that you went on a field trip to? We did. Yeah. So um, we found out uh, that Denver water was installing similar concrete tanks. And for us, it was the first post-tension concrete tank in New Mexico. So um, no one really had experience building one. So we went to Denver Water's uh, site off of Quincy and saw what they were doing there. And their tanks were, I believe, 15 million gallons, so much larger than our 4 million one. Um, but learned a lot from their, from Stantec constructors and, or it was MWH constructors at the time. So learned a lot from what they were doing. Yeah. Sounds like you get a lot of adventure there. You get a lot of variety. You're on a boat. You're taking field trips. It sounds like you got a good gig there. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, we're to the mid-show segment, Kristen. And this is uh, when I think about New Mexico and, uh, you know, northern New Mexico I always think about these uh, acequias, which are, you know, centuries old uh, canals. Let me, I'll read about them, but are, are you familiar with the acequias? Yes. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, let me, uh, let me start. This is a, by Mike Root. He's a co-owner of Western Life Camp at uh, Parciante Rio Gainas Acequia Association. That's the author, but I'll just, uh, I'll read this because I've always found them interesting. Uh, El Agua es la Vida. That's, that's water is life in Spanish. Now we have it in Chinese, Spanish, and English. Let me start over. El Agua es la Vida. Water is life. It's a universal concept, but in a dry mountain region like northern New Mexico, where water is scarce, sacred, and coveted, the words ring especially true. Western Life Camp sits next to the Gainas River, a cool mountain stream and tributary to the Pecos River. We and our downstream neighbors share an acequia, or community irrigation canal. Acequias are a common thread that spans centuries of New Mexico history. The indigenous tribes of the area were the first to use gravity-powered ditches for agriculture. As early as 1400 AD, the Pueblo Indians had created complex systems of irrigation lines fed from the area's rivers and tributaries to grow corn, beans, and squash. With the Spanish colonization of the area in the 1600s, the term acequia as shared water course began to be used. 
The Spaniards noted the similarities to the native watering systems to those brought to Spain during the Moorish occupation. The word acequia is of Arabic origin. In classic Arabic, a sake, I have to uh, try to pronounce this, a sakia was a double entendre of water conduit and one who bears water or barmaid. Today, acequias remain as community-operated irrigation ditches vital to northern New Mexico. Interestingly, acequias are recognized as governmental units under New Mexico law. Smaller acequia associations are grouped under the statewide New Mexico Acequia Association. A crucial function of each individual association is the annual spring cleaning. In the cooperative effort orchestrated by a supervising mayordomo, the individual members or parciantes manually clean out the entire ditch of leaves, debris, and anything else that has accumulated inside the ditch over the winter months. When the spring rains and, run and mountain runoff begins, the parciantes enjoy the benefit of their labor as water flows smoothly along the acequia, bringing life to their fields and crops. So that is a little bit on acequias, which is always the only fine. I only hear that in New Mexico. It's a strictly New Mexico thing, I think. But I always, uh, I always like how it's like a community-owned project, and everyone cleans it out, and everyone benefits. And uh... yeah, and very, very important to New Mexico culture and New Mexico life. And even in Santa Fe, we work with the acequias to um, make deliveries from our reservoirs, and um, they have they have priority, and it's it's an important part of how we strategize our water management is yeah. working with the acequias. All right, well, let's move on to to some more uh, talk. You said you find manganese, you found manganese in your reservoir. But you mentioned you, you find other things at sites and you have uh, an on-site person for that. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, about that for us? Yes. So um, these things that we find are uh, not, uh, not manganese, that's for sure. Right. Um, we have a full-time uh, archaeologist on our water division staff. Does he and... look like Indiana Jones at all? <laughs> Sometimes, maybe. Yeah. Does, he have a, does he carry a bullwhip? <laughs> no. Oh. All right. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I just have these probing questions. But... <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, uh, the archaeologist, uh, his role is to um, be on site full time during any water construction projects. And um, those are in our historical areas of town, which is most of Santa Fe. Yeah. For anyone who knows Santa Fe well, that's the majority of, of the city. And um, we find a lot of different artifacts um, dating from Pueblo culture to Spanish culture. And so you never know when you start a construction project in Santa Fe, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah. We found uh, different, um, we found a burrow recently an old an old uh, 150 year old donkey wow <clears throat> mm -hmm. and different um different forms of pot pottery of course and relics of um, the ancient tewa pueblo culture um, but we've even found trying to replace a water line we encountered um even a, a children's burial site from ancient pueblo culture oh mm-hmm Man, that is interesting. I've never heard of that at, at like uh, 
a local level, you know, I've heard of it kind of on the national when you have to do, you know, do big projects, but never, never heard of a in-house archeologist. That's a, I bet he's one of the very few out there with that position. Yeah, I'm pretty envious. It seems to be a very, like a very interesting job. Yeah, I bet. Did you? See and he works that? with the state of New Mexico to archive everything we find. Oh, can the can the public see it somewhere, or where do they keep it at? Yes, we're in the process of developing our our uh, water museum. <clears throat> so some of the things we find on projects are found at the water museum, which is where our um, uh, an old hydro turbine site. So this is the original site where Santa Fe was powered. Mm. Oh, well, I'm going to have to check that out too. That's two things I'm going to have to do when I uh, am in Santa Fe next. All right, Kristen. Well, this is a, uh, this has been interesting. I wanted to, to kind of close it out before we get to the quiz with, uh, you know, you said you worked in Colorado. I know you worked in, in Boulder in the front range and now you're in New Mexico. What what differences do you see in the way things are done in New Mexico or or is it is it just the same as things are done here? What what are some of the differences that you've noticed working in both areas? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty similar in a lot of regards. Um in certain regards, you know, um I I'd say we're further down the line on um drought and the amount of water we have on um, the majority of New Mexico is um, utilizes groundwater resources. And so we have to be very conscious of the amount of water we use. Um, you know, basically we're in the high desert. And so even though Colorado has um, drought restrictions and water conservation restrictions, I think we're just maybe further along um, that process. And so um, what you see is a pretty big effort, both locally and statewide, and then working also on a national level uh, to manage the water rights and water resources <clears throat> to make sure that we have that we're resilient for the future. And it's it's a it's a very big challenge. Um, but even when, if you go to Santa Fe and you go to a bar, people are talking about water and they're talking about the amount of water we have and how we're going to survive in the future. And one of the big differences I've noticed is that um, no one has lawns in Santa Fe. No one has green lawns. You just don't see it. Oh. And and it's probably uh, stems from just the lack of water, but also the city has done major conservation efforts. And so it's, for most people, it's just, um, they recognize that it's not feasible to have a lawn. Yeah, that what a concept, I think... Uh... The idea that maybe you don't need acres of bluegrass in front of your house to uh, water and mow because, I mean, it works. Or they have a, a nice, you know, it's a nice city. It's a nice aesthetic when you when you look at the the houses and the the area. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's what I I kind of predict for maybe the future of Colorado is that um, lawns might be replaced with native grasses and things that are more drought resistant. Yeah. All right, Kristen. Well, thanks. This has been uh, been great talking to you and hearing about some of your uh, your challenges and some of your stories from from your job with the city of Santa Fe. So, thanks a lot. Are you ready for the quiz now? I guess I am. All right. 
Uh, this will be, let me get my bell here. So uh, if you get it right, I'll ring the bell. This is a three question quiz. Uh, the first one, the legendary big screen archaeologist Indiana Jones suffers from ophidiophobia. What is Indiana Jones afraid of? Ophidiophobia. Is it A, heights, B, chickens, C, snakes, or D, beards? What is Indiana Jones afraid of with ophidiophobia? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't know, but if I were to guess, I'd say snakes. Oh, that is correct. Indiana yes. Jones is afraid of snakes. That fear of beards is a real thing, though. It's called uh, paganophobia. I had never heard of a fear of beards, but paganophobia. And chickens, all these are real. Chickens is electrophobia, which I don't know how that re relates to chickens. But anyway, let's move <laughs> on to question two. Good job. Uh, the Librarian, if you've ever seen those movies, called The Librarian, was a series of made-for-television fantasy adventure movies involving archaeological adventures retrieving relics. What former ER actor played Flynn in the Librarian series? Was it A, Noah Wiley, B, George Clooney, C, Anthony Edwards, or D, Juliana Margulies? Who played Flynn in the Librarian? Hmm... I have no idea, <laughs> but and, um, I'm going to go with uh, D, Juliana. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Noah Wiley. But that Noah was Wiley. Okay. <laughs> yeah. One for two. You could, be, uh, you could be two for three with this last question here. Uh, number three, a treasure hidden in the Rocky Mountains by an art and antiques dealer from New Mexico was recently found. What was the treasure called? Was it A, the twin sister's treasure, B, the runner's roost treasure, C, the golden owl treasure, or D, the fen treasure? <laughs> Which uh, treasure was recently found? D, Forest Fen's treasure. That is correct. <laughs> and I'm always, I was always keeping my eye out for it, but, you know, no luck. Yeah, no, <laughs> I used to look for that. Uh, I went to New Mexico twice searching for that. I thought it was in New Mexico. They said it was found in uh, Wyoming, I guess. So my efforts were wasted. But, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I used to search for that, too. I thought it was by, uh, oh, I can't remember the place I used to look. Like Hot Springs in New Mexico. There's a bunch of hot springs. It's over by Los Alamos. Yes, the Jemez. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Jemez, <laughs> yeah. That was the area I was sure it was located in, but I guess I was wrong. But I'm glad someone found it so I can quit looking. Right, we're, we're, we can all relax now. <laughs> right. My minivan couldn't take all those miles on it, going to New Mexico searching for that. Okay, well, you got two out of three, Kristen. That is uh, pretty good for uh, random questions that... Uh, we're about archaeology. So congratulations. And uh, thanks for being on the program. I appreciate your time. It's been, uh, it's been fun. Yes, thank you, Blair. It's been a great time. And uh, hope everyone has a chance to visit Santa Fe and when the pandemic's over and come get some green chili. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be good.
All right, and to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like the Streaming Water podcast, please give a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you're listening on. Uh, We want to thank the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, if you have any show ideas or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, don't hesitate to uh, shoot me an email at streamingwater at mail.com with your, your thoughts and ideas. But thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Streaming Water Podcast.